Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. It's the California Report magazine, and on today's show, police corruption. We'll hear about a high-ranking officer recorded on a wiretap in a federal drug probe. Hello? Man, I've been calling you. Why did you call me back yesterday? We're taking a look at one of the biggest local law enforcement agencies in the state, the Fresno Police Department, which patrols a city of half a million people. We'll learn about a surprising number of Fresno cops who've been arrested and the legacy of the man who oversaw them. Any leader in any organization bears responsibility. Did they do enough? Uh, Could they have done more? I'm sure those are questions he asks himself. Plus, we'll meet a writer who spent years trying to solve a murder he thinks was tied to the police, the killing of his father. My dad was seated in his office chair when the first bullet was fired, grazing the top of his head going through that wall and landing right here in this parking lot. A powerful police chief, a disgraced second-in-command, and a century of corruption scandals. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. On today's show, we're featuring reporting from Robert Lewis. He's been looking into the Fresno Police Department as part of the California Corruption Project out of the investigative reporting program at the UC Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism. Hey there, Robert. Hi, Sasha. So you've been spending a lot of time reporting this story in Fresno, a place I know well. I was a reporter there for about a dozen years. And I know that you cannot do a story about the police department there without trying to explain just how big police chief Jerry Dyer is. Literally, he's a giant. Uh, There's a shirtless photo of him on a blog doing the ice bucket challenge, and the headline proclaims bear alert. Uh, You might have seen his shaved head and hulking frame in a national TV commercial for an alarm system. I need, I need 911. She's okay. I saw the remote sitting on my kitchen counter, and I knew if I hit the red button, someone would come on the line. ADT has a a system in place where they can inquire of the victim. And that's what happened. Yeah, and he's a big deal politically, too, in the Central Valley, which is pretty conservative. You know, people often think of Fresno as kind of a rural hinterland, but it's also a big city, and it's got big city problems like gangs. Dyer is a widely respected lawman. Uh, He brought down violent crime while also making the department a national model for neighborhood policing and its use of technology. And we should mention here that Chief Dyer declined to do an interview with us for this story. And he also wouldn't respond to our written questions. 
Yeah, we wanted to ask him about his tenure as chief. And some of the bizarre scandals he's weathered, like this one from a few years ago. We start Action News at 6.30 with an update to a story you will only see here. High-quantity drug deals, a burned-out truck, and a dead body. It all traces back to a Mexican drug cartel, and the investigation touched home for a Fresno police officer who has since lost his job. In another time and another place, Jerry Dyer might not have even become chief. In 2001, right when the city council is naming him to lead the department, the Fresno Bee reports on accusations that he had sex with a 16-year-old girl when he was in his mid-20s and a cop. And he never denied it. No, he just said he'd been born again and is not the same man. There was also a crazy case where he was possibly going to fire this lieutenant for lying about an extramarital affair. And that guy ends up dead, shot in the chest outside Dyer's house. Now, it was ruled a suicide, but it again just shows the unusual tenure he's had as chief of this large department. And we should say some people love Jerry Dyer. I mean, he's kind of a Central Valley celebrity. He's this tough lawman. You can see his face on billboards everywhere in Fresno. There's a Jerry Dyer bobblehead. He's even in a rap video. We give respect to the church. We give respect to the bars. We give respect to the block. Even give it to the cops. We give respect to the church. He doesn't rap in the video, but he does do this fantastically awkward dance in front of a police department helicopter. He's also developed a profile outside the valley. He was president of the State Police Chiefs Association for a time, uh, won a big state law enforcement award. On a national level, he was the subject of a fawning article in The Washington Post for his apparent embrace of community policing. I mean, this is a guy that city leaders threw a giant black tie gala for just a few years ago to celebrate his 15 years on the job. A local TV covered that. It was a full house inside this exhibit hall at the Fresno Convention Center Saturday night. I love you like a brother, and I hope you enjoy it tonight. So it was huge news in this region when Chief Dyer announced he was going to retire at the end of this year. We're going to hear more later about the chief and his complicated legacy, But part of that legacy, a big part of it, has to do with someone who's no longer in the department. And that's Dyer's second-in-command and close friend, Keith Foster. Foster was a local success story. He came from a family of African-American community activists, was a decorated narcotics officer, once shot in the line of duty, and he rose up the ranks right behind Dyer to be the second-highest-ranking officer in the department. After Dyer, Foster had a chance of taking over the force. But that is not going to happen. He is not going to any big city galas or retirement parties for the chief because he is sitting in federal prison in Colorado near the likes of people like the Unabomber and a 9-11 planner. Now, how Foster got there was one of the biggest scandals in modern California law enforcement history. And you probably didn't hear about it if you live outside the Central Valley. I'm going to hand it over to Robert now to tell us more about that scandal and how it took the feds to the threshold of one of the most powerful, prominent police chiefs in the state. Most people think of the Central Valley as one of the biggest agricultural areas in the country, but it's also a major hub for illegal drugs. And Keith Foster was part of the fight to crack down on them. The cultivation and distribution of marijuana is a national concern. This is Foster at a 2011 city council meeting in which he pushes officials to crack down on outdoor marijuana grow sites. Seventy-two percent of all the marijuana grown in the United States is grown in California. 
So that's, that's significant. Foster's father was a church deacon. His sister, Kelly Foster Nellum, is a former president of the local NAACP. She says their dad instilled discipline and a call to serve, a call her brother answered. Keith graduated at 15. Um, he had his whole life mapped out. He um, said, you know, I'm going to go to, to the academy. I'm going to be a police officer. Um, and he did that. He did everything that he stated that he wanted to do. And he made my dad proud. That's why so many people were shocked when they heard Deputy Chief Foster was arrested. Bill Ruzumeni is the federal drug czar for the region. He's known Foster for years, knew him to be a good cop and an ally in the fight against drugs. Ruzumeni heard about the arrest from one of his commanders. I, I think I said something like, really? And, and how do we know? And then uh, they told me about the, the wiretap. That's Keith Foster. He'd been struggling with really serious money problems for some time, including a costly divorce. He even borrowed $15,000 from a subordinate. Red flags. But the probe appears to have started almost by accident. Federal agents with the FBI and ATF were investigating a drug ring they thought might be helping fuel some of the Fresno area's gang violence. One of the tapped phones belonged to a suspected dealer, Keith Foster's nephew, Denny Foster. When Keith Foster got on the line, agents realized it wasn't just a family call. Here he is talking about paying more than $3,000 for three units, which allegedly refers to drugs. Okay, so you said get 3200 from my board and, and you can get three units. In December 2014, after listening to these calls, Federal investigators took the stunning step of starting a wiretap on Foster, the second highest ranking officer in the Fresno Police Department. And over a three month period, what they heard was troubling evidence that Foster was involved in trafficking not just marijuana, but also heroin and prescription painkillers. Hey, remember when we yeah. talked about, man, that, uh, that, that uh, the black? Prosecutors say that the black he's talking about is a kind of heroin. This was from a call between Keith Foster and a convicted street gang member who says it's $1,000 for the best, called China White. And we're talking about some, some China White, though, you know what I mean? Hey, man, that's hey, 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 you ain't got to go, you ain't got to go into all that Just, hey, meet me. In another call, Foster talks to a nephew's girlfriend. She tells him the nephew was pulled over and arrested after Highway Patrol searched the car and found marijuana. He had six pounds on him, and he told them he had six pounds. Foster tells her he'll call his own narc guys, meaning the narcotics officers he had sway with. I'm going to call my narc guys. See, if he would have told me, oh, look, okay, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, then I would have some cover for it. At the same time as Foster is allegedly committing crimes, the wiretap also captures calls where he talks about grappling with the city's rampant crime. You know, I think about this this kind of job. We got a whole lot of stuff going on. We had somebody break into a church and do some hate crimes. You know, I got three shootings. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Foster's family has largely rallied around him and wants to clear his name. They think he was targeted so forcefully, in part because of his race. Some background. 
This is a city where only about 8% of the population is black. Last year, a financial news and opinion website dubbed the city one of the worst to live in for African Americans, based on the level of segregation and mortality rates. So the fact Foster made it to the top of the department in a city where it seems a black man is more likely to be shot by police than to lead them was a big deal. This was a department where in the 1920s, more than half a dozen officers were revealed to be members of the Ku Klux Klan. Chief Dyer has been sued multiple times for discrimination by his own officers. Among the allegations, he liked to sing the antebellum song, Mammy's Little Baby Loves Shortening Bread, when talking about black people. The gray house, it used to be yellow when we lived there, but that's where we lived. On a recent afternoon, um, Foster's sister, Kelly Foster Nellum, drove me around the southwest Fresno neighborhood where they grew up, trying to make sense of how we got here. The Fosters are one of the most prominent families in the area. Keith Foster has 13 siblings, including an older brother who once went 15 rounds with Muhammad Ali. A police substation in the area is named after their father. The family has also had its share of pain. A nephew, Eric, was actually shot and killed 16 years ago by Fresno police. Eric was reportedly a robbery suspect. He was shot multiple times in the back in a dark orchard on the edge of town. Turned out he was unarmed. The little yellow stand thing right there that's sticking out, you see the little stick Mm -hmm. thing right there? That's the marker where Eric's mom made a makeshift memorial for him. Kelly says the shooting caused a rift in the family, and some relatives blamed her brother Keith Foster for not getting involved in the ensuing protest, choosing badge over family. She thinks that's why he ended up in trouble. We continue to follow breaking news. The second highest ranking officer in Fresno arrested in a federal drug conspiracy investigation. That is our top story tonight at 6. Good evening. At trial, Foster's lawyer argued that all that talk about drugs was just Foster gathering intelligence, like an undercover officer might do. And he suggested Foster was implicated in the case because Denny, the nephew caught on the wiretap, was trying to save his own neck. Foster's sister says Denny still blamed Foster for not siding with the family after Eric was killed. Denny has had it in for my brother. He was the one that kind of started that riff in the family with respect to um, uncle, you know, sided with the cops over family kind of thing. The jury didn't buy it. Breaking news. Fresno's former deputy police chief, a man once in a position of trust, walked out of court with his family Tuesday after being found guilty of federal drug trafficking charges. The jury found Foster guilty for his role in the heroin and marijuana conspiracies. Early last year, Deputy Chief Keith Foster started a four-year sentence in federal prison in Colorado. He's appealing the conviction and did not respond to an interview request. Chief Dyer said at a press conference after the arrest he was shocked. I spend 60 to 70 hours a week as the police chief in the city. consider myself to be extremely hands-on. Deputy Chief Foster's office is just a few feet away from mine. But he didn't exactly promise a top-to-bottom review of the department. I think it is a sad day when we allow an isolated incident to cause us to lose confidence in mankind. And I refuse to do that. But to actually know whether it's an isolated incident, you probably have to dig deeper, which is why it's worth pointing out Foster's nephew told prosecutors the deputy chief was helping deal marijuana for seven years. The federal investigation into Deputy Chief Foster lasted all of four months. Enough time to get him off the street and into prison. Not enough to actually answer the question, if the number two in the department is running a drug ring, what else is going on?
You're listening to the California Report magazine. I'm Sasha Coca, and on this week's show, reporter Robert Lewis is looking at corruption in the Fresno Police Department, one of the largest law enforcement agencies in the state. Robert, you know, one of the things that's amazing to me as I'm listening to your story is that this Foster case, it's its the kind of scandal that would bring down so many other leaders. How did Chief Dyer not suspect something? I mean, it wasn't only the money problems. I understand there were other questions like allegations that Foster sexually harassed another cop's wife, even child abuse allegations that came out during Foster's divorce. There were investigations into the sexual harassment and child abuse, and he was cleared. But taken together, it seems like there should have been deeper scrutiny. And as we've said, we both spent months trying to get Chief Dyer to do an interview with us, but he refused. He did speak to some graduate students from the UC Berkeley School of Journalism last year for a story about racial disparities in policing. But he did so only on the condition they not ask him about the Foster case. No, no, I think you guys asked about it. I think you guys asked about everything. No, there, there's other things you could have asked, and I'm glad you didn't, but I already hopefully shared with him why I wasn't going to reopen that wound either. But But this isn't the uh, only wound, right, Robert? I mean, I know Dyer called Foster's arrest an isolated incident. Was it? No, it wasn't. Uh, More than a dozen Fresno police officers have been arrested in recent years, including some big corruption busts. There was a Fresno drug unit investigated for allegedly running a stolen car parts ring. There was a vice detective convicted in federal court for taking bribes to help a major drug dealer. And there was a cartel-connected cop found with meth in his house. He was allowed to stay on the force, only to be caught years later with a stolen truck outfitted to smuggle drugs. That officer was finally fired and is now facing criminal charges in local court. Wow. I mean, I understand there were a lot of questions about the way those cases were handled and if anything was ever done after them to change things. I mean, this is a city that spent a decade even debating whether or not the police needed an independent auditor. And the position doesn't exactly have a lot of sway. Uh, For example, after Foster's arrest, the auditor recommended more financial disclosure, especially for officers seeking promotions. It just didn't happen. Retired Lieutenant Dennis Montano is former head of internal affairs. He agreed to speak to me on the outskirts of the city. Montano was frank in his assessment. The department too often treats corruption cases as isolated incidents. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that. That's horrible. I I can't imagine anybody else doing that. And then somebody else does it. I asked him if the department does proactive internal affairs investigations, basically stings to keep people honest. In Fresno, no. No. In some agencies, they do. Uh, uh, They're, uh, like, for example, the L.A. Police Department, they have what they call, I think it's called the Integrity Unit, where they'll basically um, maybe place a wallet with, uh, you know, 100 bucks of cash in it. And then see if the officer turns in the wallet or keeps it. Yeah, Los Angeles started doing things like that after a big corruption scandal. Oakland's police department did the same. I asked why Fresno doesn't do that. That's the chief's decision. And we should mention here, Chief Dyer himself has never been accused of corruption. And he is widely respected in law enforcement circles. So why isn't he doing more to address these kind of scandals? You know, as I talk to people for this story, eventually every conversation will get to the point where they just sort of shrug and say, that's Fresno. As a reporter there, that's something I would hear all the time. When there would be questionable police shootings, there were just a handful of activists who would speak out. For a long time in Fresno, there was no ACLU. There was no police watchdog group. 
This is a city that had some of the biggest bootlegging scandals during Prohibition. There were big mob murders half a century ago. In the 70s, the feds apparently wouldn't even share info with the Fresno PD because they didn't trust them. I mean, there is so much history in Fresno that people in the rest of the state just don't know about. And Robert, you did a walking tour of Fresno's past with somebody who was a pretty good guide. Yeah, Mark Arax is arguably the foremost writer and historian of the Central Valley. He spent 17 years as a reporter at the L.A. Times, has written books. He also grew up here, and he's got his own tragic family story, which we're going to hear about a little later. When I started working on this story, I reached out to him. He said to understand how we got here. A deputy chief sitting in prison, I had to literally go with him to see the history of Fresno. What's there and what the city is trying to forget. It's a Saturday morning just a few blocks from downtown Fresno. So this is Chinatown. This is Chinatown. Eric's and I are joining a tour group led by a local Chinatown Historical Association. And we're about to go underground, the site of one's secret tunnels from the early 1900s. I'm curious to see them. I've never, I've never been down there. Let's go check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The tour guide leads us through a barber shop on the corner of F and Kern Street, past people getting haircuts to a dark stairwell in the back leading underground. Take a deep breath. It's steep. We need the flashlights and our iPhones to find our way. These are part of the tunnel network that connected Chinatown, extended 17 blocks. We end up in what looks like a series of connected basements, and there are ancient sealed doorways and spots. Down here a century ago, this room would have been partitioned off and filled with beds for prostitutes. The tunnels would have connected with drug dens and gambling rooms. It was accepted as part of the way of doing business. Eric says the police condoned it and even took a cut of the proceeds. And he says to understand this place, you have to understand the vice, the corruption, the world that existed in these shadows. This is not only a secret passageway in Fresno, it's the history is a secret as well. Many of these tunnels have been destroyed, and Arax says the city hasn't done enough to protect its historical landmarks. As we come up, Arax says during Prohibition, Fresno moved on from the opium and became a hotspot for illegal alcohol. And again, the police were involved. In the mid-20s, a dozen Fresno cops, including the chief, were indicted for their role in what Eric's calls the biggest bootlegging scandal of the era. Fresno was listed uh, among the prohibition agencies, federal prohibition agencies, as the wettest county in the western United States, if not the nation. Eric thinks this is because the Central Valley is cut off, literally and psychologically, from much of the state. And it developed with an eclectic mix of people. Germans from Russia, former Confederate soldiers, Dust Bowl migrants, Armenians fleeing the Turkish genocide. People largely distrustful of too much government and oversight. In this freewheeling way, they built a thriving city. Fresno kind of was a little bit like a miniature San Francisco. It, it had nice, nice architecture, nice buildings, a real sense, a vibrant sense of a, a cohesive downtown. Uh, that's all been ripped out. A lot of it's been ripped out. One of the few places that hasn't been is downtown on Broadway. It was the place to be during the 1940s. So we're standing in front of, what is this, a six-story This is one of the six, This is Hotel Fresno, one of the fanciest hotels. My parents had their wedding reception here in 1956. And look at it now, it's just... Oh, the paint's peeling. Yeah. It looks like all the windows are boarded up with But it's uh, been, yeah, plywood. it's been emptied out. Yeah. 
back in the day, there was music, dancing, gambling, prostitution. The vice here was controlled by the Los Angeles mob, much of it centered just down the block from the Fresno Hotel at a night spot called the Plantation Club. And the way up to the Plantation Club was a secret elevator that was manned by a Fresno police sergeant. And the police headquarters was just catty corner here. Eric says there's evidence a member of the Fresno Police Department actually drove down to Los Angeles every couple weeks to give the mobsters their cut of the action. Then Eric takes me several blocks away where the history turns personal. We're standing in the parking lot of the old bar Eric's dad Ara used to own. You'd never know now from the heavy locked door and trash thrown about that this was the hottest club in town. Chuck Berry once duck walked across this stage. As a kid, Eric's dad would put him to work here. He was so fastidious, he'd make me take the chewing gum off from underneath the, the, you know, the, the tables, the bar tables. One Sunday night in 1972, two men from Detroit walked into this bar looking for his dad. My dad was seated in his office chair when the first bullet was fired, grazing the top of his head, going through that wall and landing right here in this parking lot. Ara Erex's murder was unsolved for decades. Mark Erex spent years investigating the killing and wrote a book about it, laying out a theory that his dad was murdered by contract killers before he could expose major drug traffickers and the Fresno police who protected them. After the book, one of the shooters was arrested and convicted in what was portrayed in court as simply a robbery gone bad. Erex is skeptical, says Fresno is a long way to go for robbers from Detroit. Before the murder, I was a kid stupid to his place, not unlike, you know, so many other kids. But he started looking around, uncovering the history. And it was after the murder that I picked up a tape recorder. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I started asking questions. In a storage facility, Eric shows me where all those questions have led. A dozen packed file cabinets, boxes stacked on top, filled with federal reports, court documents, and old crime scene photos. Not just his father's murder, but the history of Fresno in the Central Valley. Okay. Oh, let's see. Book number one. Okay. Piecing it all together, Eric says he thinks Fresno is one of the most corrupt cities in the country, and often at the center of it, the police. This is a city now of, you know, when you look at the, the metropolitan area, of 600,000, 700,000 people. And, um, and, you know, we had a police chief... How many goes back? Maybe just three or four police chiefs who you know, was married to the biggest madam in Fresno, and no one ever wrote the story. So um, I think the lesson is that once a place starts off bad, it kind of ends up bad. Unless, Eric says, there's the will to do something about it. And so learning about the past is really about committing to change the future. It's not just history, because once this corruption got rooted here, it continued from generation to generation. From the opium dens to prohibition, the LA mob, 1970s drug runners, to the present, and police chief Jerry Dyer's second in command, Keith Foster. Look what the FBI found. You know, they found that the deputy police chief was part of a ring, a drug smuggling ring. Um, it's the deputy police chief, but it harkens back to 1924 and the bootlegging scandal and the police chief and all his deputies were involved in that scam. Then, like today, the city seems to have just quietly moved on, suggesting the next Fresno police scandal is not a question of if, but when.
That's reporter Robert Lewis, who's been digging into police corruption in Fresno. His story comes to us from Investigative Studios and the Investigative Reporting Program at UC Berkeley. That's the California Report magazine. Special thanks to John Temple, Lowell Bergman, Andy Beal, and the student researchers who helped with this story. Our technical producer is Seal Muller. Our director is Susie Racho. Victoria Mauleon is our senior editor. And our editorial team also includes Taiki Hendricks, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Sasha Koka. Thanks for listening. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation. Accepting nominations now for the 2020 James Irvine Foundation Leadership Awards at irvine.org. College Futures Foundation. More graduates for a thriving California. Learn more at collegefutures.org and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.